Well, may I say Happy Christmas to you all? I couldn't quite hear that. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful occasion, isn't it? It's, uh, it's lovely to gather together on this night. I am so glad this, this occasion happened this weekend and not last weekend. Can I just say, I don't know what we would have done uh, if the snow had fallen this, this Sunday. Anyway, that's wonderful. Uh, and amidst uh, a wonderful, talented choir and uh, talented conductors, I, uh, could I say as well, um, it is my privilege to speak to you just for a few minutes uh, this evening. And I want to speak about Jesus Christ because this is all about him and it's all for him. And one of the things we need to try and get our heads around at this time of year is the fact that God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the lord of lords, became a human being. In Jesus, God became living, breathing human flesh. Or to put it another way, God took on a lost cause, the human race. But how can we understand it? How are we to understand that? C.S. Lewis uh, was one of the most celebrated Christian academics and authors of the last century. And he put it this way. And he asked his audience to imagine that they are the proud owner of a pet dog. And he wrote this. Lying at your feet is your pet dog. And you love this dog, you love your dog very much. But imagine for a moment that your dog and every dog that there is in the world is in deep distress, in deep anguish. And remember, you love dogs very much. Now just suppose you could put dogs out of their misery by becoming a dog. Would you be willing to become like one of them and become a dog? Would you put down your human nature Leave your loved ones, leave your job, leave your hobbies, leave your friends, leave your music, and choose our, instead of being able to communicate freely and easily with other human beings, the poor substitute of looking into a human's face and wagging your tail, unable to smile or to speak. Now listen to this, says Lewis. Christ, by becoming a human being, limited the thing which to him was the most precious thing in the world. His unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. End of quote. Now that takes some thinking about, doesn't it? But essentially, that is what happened at the first Christmas. God, the unlimited source of light unlimited source of power in the universe, who in fact stands outside of the universe as its maker, chose to become like us. And it's not incorrect, well, I don't think so anyway, I don't think it's incorrect to compare that to us becoming a dog. I assure you. So why did he do it? That's the big question. And it comes back to that thought, that idea that I put out there that God took on a lost cause, the human race. I wonder if you've ever heard that phrase, isn't that a hopeless cause? Or much worse than that, perhaps 
you've even heard, isn't he or she a hopeless cause? And there's something really quite shocking about that, isn't there? We don't really want to think of anyone as a lost cause, do we? And yet as we consider the world, the world at large, this Christmas time, and as we are here in the middle of December 2017, there does seem to be places, there do seem to be places in the world that are either war-torn or ravaged by selfish dictators, or simply where the human race is so caught up in its lack of harmony with other people that we could rightly say that is, it looks like a lost cause. And if you read the newspapers, there are situations around the world where really that is something that rings true. You might think of what's going on around and about North Korea or around and about Bangladesh, and you'll know what I mean. And yet here we are gathered in the church building a few days before Christmas Day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So there must be something in this. So how does the birth of Christ, or how does the birth of Jesus speak into our lives 2,000 years after it took place? Surely there's some hope for the human race. Well, my friends, the, the hope is found in this and in this alone. That God, the creator of all that there is, our Father God, loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to be born among us, to live among us, to die for us, and ultimately to raise, to rise again and to reign in glory. That's the hope that needs to be sung from every, every rooftop this Christmas. And that is a cause for celebration. Because without that hope, without that news that God has become one of us in Christ, this world really is a lost cause. There is nothing, there is no one else we can truly put our hope and trust in because everything else is transitory. Health, wealth, family, success, none of that lasts forever. And sometimes it can be swept away in an instant. And it's into that context of hope and expectation and longing. I just want to say a few things about just one of the Bible readings we've heard. We've heard a few, haven't we, uh, tonight? But I just want to just pick on one. And the first one we heard from Isaiah. And how the prophet, uh, prophet Isaiah saw the coming of the king into the world as giving hope to a dark and fallen creation. Verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 9 says this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Now, to understand what he's saying, I need to help you a bit and to fill in a bit with what's going on. Isaiah is a prophet a long time before Jesus. And he's writing at a time when, when the land of Israel is in a, a place of real danger. I was speaking to the congregations this morning about this. And Israel at that point is, is just reduced to one tribe and they are surrounded by enemies on all sides. Foreign armies who are much bigger, much stronger than they are, who are intent on destroying them and taking over. Now that to, to you may just seem, well it's a little bit of ancient history, it doesn't really mean a lot. But think of it like this. Just imagine if the Nazis had 
crossed over the channel in those darkest days of World War II. They crossed over the channel and they'd overrun all of the United Kingdom. But not quite all. They'd overrun the whole country apart from Shropshire. Now, <laughs> I know that's a bit unlikely, <laughs> but just imagine, all right, just for a moment. Just imagine, they've, they've, they've occupied the whole of the country apart from Shropshire, where we live. Now, hear these words again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. And what Isaiah see is saying very much like that. So that fear, that worry... Imagine if the Nazis had taken control of fear and the worry of them taking over not only the rest of the country, but also where we are, just this small county of Shropshire. That remnant, if you like, had, you know, was holding on. And in the same way, Isaiah is saying that in a land of darkness, a deep darkness around them, where evil is, there's going to be a light that dawns. There's going to be a hope that lifts their spirits. What seems to be hopeless can be made right by God because the truth is God hasn't given up on his people. Now let's get a bit more personal. God God hasn't given up on you and he hasn't given up on the world he's made. Even though on one level, it is right to say, on one level that you and I are a lost cause. God still sees us with loving eyes. He, the Bible says that we are the apple of his eye. And one of the wonderful things about God is this. What he promises, he promises whatever we have done in the past can be forgiven. You see, by being born as one of us, God was saying in the, in the most tangible way possible that he hadn't given up on his creation. By becoming one of us, he says, there is hope for you. And I'm going to do everything that is needed to bring you back to that place of hope. In fact, he died for me and for you so that we can be brought back to God. Now, God can't make our past go away. He can't ignore what we've done in the past. But what he can do is to reassure us that there is nothing that's beyond his forgiveness. There's nothing that's beyond his grace and his mercy. And that is very good news. Verse 6 of that reading says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And that's the promise of God that, that God makes to Isaiah that hope will come in the form of a child, a son. And Isaiah is looking away, away ahead and he's predicting, prophesying the birth of Jesus. And the thing about Jesus is that he's not only a man, he is God-made man. And if you ever re- read the Gospels, those amazing records of the life of Jesus, you'll know that whatever Jesus says, whatever Jesus does, in fact, whatever Jesus doesn't do and doesn't say, all speak powerfully that he is God. Now, you may well be sitting there, and I can't really see you, actually. You can see me, but I can't see you. You may well be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, what is that man saying at the front? What is that man talking about? He's talking about a country I've never been to. He's talking about a man I've never met, called Jesus. 
And I don't blame you for thinking like that, if that's the way you're thinking. But you see, Jesus didn't just live and die all those years ago in a land that you've heard of, but maybe never been to or never likely to go to. No, because the biggest claim of Christianity is that Jesus is alive today and is at work in the lives of people today. Okay, prove it, you may well say. And again, I don't blame you for thinking that. But what if you hear about the claim of Jesus, that he's alive today, and if you hear about that from someone personally, and about the difference it has made to them personally? And at this point, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, a friend called Martin. And Martin is going to come here to the microphone. He's going to tell you about a time over the last year how God has been with him and what God has done for him. So Martin, I know you're out there, but you need to come and be brave and speak to these lovely people. Thank you, Martin. Well, at the start of the year, I knew that I had a very difficult uh, situation to face, a very unusual heart problem. Uh, I was going up to Stoke, the hospital there, and the consultants had said that one of the arteries around my heart had grown to an enormous size and it had put out another blood vessel that was going back into my heart and so the, well, the weak blood pressure side of the heart and taking a whole load of high blood pressure blood into the other side of my heart. And they didn't know what to do about it. It would be difficult to do something, but if they try to do something, it may not work. It might even kill me. But if they left it, well, I've got this enormous artery. It could even burst at any time, and I'd be dead. And then in January, we heard the news that the artery was getting larger. It wasn't just staying the same size, it was increasing in size. And so the likelihood of it bursting, well, it was like I could die any moment. So how do I face something like that, knowing that I, I could realistically face death at any moment? And as Peter's been talking about the reality of Jesus, I am so glad to know the reality of Jesus in my own life to know the reality of his presence giving me such a peace facing the situation that I didn't really have any anxiety because I knew that he was with me and that he loved me and cared for me. And so eventually the surgeons decided what they wanted to do they knew they had to do something because the artery was getting bigger. And so I went for an operation. And a lot of people were praying for me because obviously the surgeons didn't know how it was going to turn out. And spoiler alert, I live. <laughs> But it was a tough time. But all these friends 
People in this church, people I know around the world were praying, asking God to give the surgeons wisdom and guide them in their operation. And it seemed to go okay, at least for the first 11 hours. But my wife Susie was phoned up and they told her that they'd got my heart going again and it seemed to be beating normally, but it was bleeding from everywhere. And I was bleeding to death. And it took them actually three to four hours of, to actually stop the bleeding and get me going again. But all this time people were praying. There are people in this church praying. Some of them praying all through the night. Other people praying for me. And I know it was a result of those prayers that I'm standing before you today. And the surgeon knows as well. He told us that he knew that people were praying because that's the reality. Jesus does make a difference in our lives. Jesus is real. Thank you, Martin, very much indeed. What about you? Do you know God's love? Do you know his acceptance? Do you know his forgiveness in your life? Do you experience that love and freedom in your life? Do you know the hope that is to come when the world will be made right with God and all war and injustice and famine will end? Because there's something that's deep within us that longs for those things. And in Jesus we find those things, that love, that acceptance, and that hope. If you want to talk to me a bit more about that after the service, I'd love to talk to you, and uh, I'd love to just have a chat with you a bit more if you want to, to do that. That's absolutely fine. Uh, if you can't find me, there are welcomers who are on the door at the back uh, as you go out, and they'd also, they'd also have to, love to have a chat with you. Ask them the question. Ask them about the difference of knowing Jesus and the difference that Jesus has made to them, is making to them and their lives. Alternatively, next term, starting in January, you've got two Alpha courses starting in the village. Alpha is a great course because it allows you to ask questions in a very non-threatening environment, questions about Jesus, uh, a place you can be with other people and ask those questions. Perhaps they've been niggling at you for a long time. You just wanted to find out a bit more about God, a bit more about Jesus, and you can do that in a very safe environment. Details on the screen there. We've got two beginning. Uh, they both happen to be in the daytime. One is on a Tuesday lunchtime here at Christ Church. And one is also being hosted at the Memorial Hall on Sunday mornings. And it's being hosted by another church in the village called Storehouse Church. And if you want to take a flyer that looks like that, uh, then uh, ask the welcomers. There's all the details about the courses are on there. And you'll be very, very welcome uh, on either course. But uh, just have a read through. Um, the leaflet will help you to understand it a bit more. Also on the way out, we've got this uh, magazine called Christmas Hope, available to anyone and everyone. It's a giveaway, it's free. Uh, it's got more stories of hope uh, of people who've encountered Christ. Uh, just to encourage you, do take one of those as you uh, leave the building tonight. But let me finish with some words. Uh, some words that someone penned. Uh, a little while ago, and I'll finish with these words. If our greatest need had been information, 
God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a saviour. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you that you love the world so much that you gave us your son. You sent your son into the world to live as one of us, to live amongst us, to know what it's like to be a human being and to take all of that to the cross, all of that stuff that we get wrong in our lives, nailed to the cross, dealt with on the cross so that we can be your sons and your daughters for eternity. Lord, help us to know that that is an invitation to us personally. All we have to do is say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Jenny Rouch is now going to come and lead us in some more.